0: You're, uh, we are so glad today, uh, is an intergenerational Sunday, which means you guys get to be in here with us, and so uh, kids, um, I'm really excited to see what you guys build, okay, so in just a couple minutes, I'm actually going to ask you, you might not be done, but what, when you're building, I'm going to ask you to hold up what you're building, and I'll ask a couple of you what it is you're building, okay, so go ahead and start working on your Legos, feel free to start building, and I'll call on you in just a couple minutes to show me what you're building. Uh, well, good morning, my name is Paul, I'm one of the uh, co-lead pastors here at Newport, um, and I love Legos. I am uh, a big fan of Legos. Uh, my kids, Bjorn and Sonia, we build Legos together often. Uh, and growing up, I loved to play with Legos. And when I was a kid, uh, there was this Lego set. Uh, I should clarify. When I was in junior high, there was this Lego set that I really, really wanted. I was super excited uh, about this at Star Wars Lego set. And this uh, Lego set was light sensitive. So when you shined a, a flashlight on it or things like that, it would actually move. It was like this robotic... Lego it was so cool to me and so uh, as a kid I was or again junior high student I really wanted to get this and my parents said that's a little bit expensive uh, and so let's you know you could do some other things to do some other chores or help other people earn some extra money and when you earn this money then you can go and buy this Lego set so uh, for a number of months um, I worked really hard to, to raise some extra money right so I would uh, mow the lawn uh, with my my family they were gracious to give me some more money uh, you know clean the house again only as well as a junior high student can do but again <laughs> my parents were gracious uh, I mowed a lot of my neighbors lawns right to help them out uh, and there was a, a kid a few houses down in our neighborhood uh, who was younger and so I would go over and I would babysit him a number of different times and so finally the time came I was so excited the time came I had earned enough money doing all these extra things to help people and I had gotten uh, to go to Target and get the at Star Wars Lego set. And I will never forget, it was on the bottom shelf and I kinda, you know, put it into the cart and I was beaming because I was so excited uh, to get this Lego set. Now, what's interesting about this story to me uh, is I remember vividly getting this Lego set and I'm certain that I built it because we found it as we were moving a few uh, uh, months ago. Uh, we found this Lego set still, so, so I'm certain I built it and I played with it. I don't remember that at all, right? Like I remember getting it, but I don't remember even playing with this particular set, but what I do really remember is all the things I did to earn the money to get the Lego set, right? So mowing the lawn, I remember mowing the lawn and I remember being like, I don't know if I really want to do this, but when I was done, I felt so proud. And I was like, I was able to help my family this way, and look at how great it is. We'd come back in the neighborhood, and other uh, neighbors' houses that I had mowed, I would just beam, like, I'm so excited that I was able to help this neighbor. Certainly, they gave me something in return, but that I was able to help. The relationship I had with this uh, next-door neighbor, I was so, it just warmed my heart when he was so excited to see me. You see, the, the ways in which I helped were so much more formative for me, they did something in me that I still remember to this day, I think they still impact me to this day, far more than the thing that I received, right? Far more than the the object that I received. And so there's this really interesting uh, phenomenon that happens. Research has shown, when we help people, it actually impacts us pretty dramatically. And it increases our mood. There's ways to show that when we help people, chronic pain. Starts to alleviate, there is literally something inside of us that changes when we help people. And the other, like, kind of baffling part to me about this is uh, research. They can now, you know, do brain mapping and all this crazy stuff where they pay attention to these things. And in an experience in which you are extending help to someone, and then the someone is receiving help, they have kind of studied this interaction. And in that experience, there is a way greater positive impact on the person extending help. Versus the person receiving help. Isn't that incredible? Like when we help someone, there is something that happens in us. There's something that forms in us much more dramatically than we receive something. So in this circumstance, right, it was way more impactful for me to help people and how that formed something in me versus just getting an AT-AT Star Wars, which I was so excited for, but I've completely forgotten. I don't even remember playing with a thing, but the, the process of helping people was formational to me. It did something in me. Now, I think uh, there's a temptation sometimes when we think about helping people. That's, it's as if we're giving someone a favor, right? We're giving them a handout. Like, they are so blessed to receive what we have to offer them. But I think there's an important distinction that I want us to think about this morning as we think about helping others and what does it mean to extend uh, to care in our community, that it is certainly important to care for people and care for needs. But as we care for the needs of our community, it forms something in us. It creates something in us that is far more profound often than the impact of giving someone something else. So kids, I know you're probably not done, uh, but can you hold up, can some kids hold up what you're working on with your Legos? Okay, Sonia, what are you working on? What are you making? A mini building. That's a great way to help people. God knows how it's gonna be. You're exactly, you're exactly right, Sonia. Any, any other kids that are working? Can, Amelia, what did you make? A bush that helps people so it eats food. So awesome. One more Lego. Anybody else that's like. Yes! Katie, what are you working on? Strawberry. I love, strawberries are super helpful for people. What'd you make, Nathan? A boat. A boat. So helpful. Right now, kids, uh, I wanna extend this challenge to you, but uh, by extension, it's to all adults. I want you to think about how you could use those things. A building is hard to use, but strawberries and other things. How could you use those things to help people? And perhaps sometime this summer, maybe like a summer challenge is to try to help people and then to pay attention. When you help that person, how does that make you feel? Okay, so kids, I want you to think about that. Adults, that's an extension to you. Uh, Maybe a summer challenge for us is as you're helping someone, Think about how you feel afterwards after helping somebody. So kids, feel free to keep working on those Legos. You can break those apart and build whatever you want. But there's something else in your packet that I'm going to come to in just a few minutes. So keep your ears ready, okay? Well, this morning, uh, we're continuing in this sermon series in uh, the book of Acts. And we're looking at this kind of early church and how the formation of the people of God uh, created this whole new kind of community. Uh, And last week, uh, Pastor Scott, we gave him a really easy passage uh, to preach on uh, on Ananias and Sapphira, uh, but you did—you really did such a beautiful job of holding a really complicated text. And it's such a gift. I just have to say uh, to know that when we depart, to know that it is in such good hands with our team. Um, we have an incredible team. Um, so, Pastor Scott, thank you. Uh, and he really did hold that beautifully, talking about kind of the infancy of this new community that's being formed, and also then kind of the integrity of how. How is this new community going to be shaped? What is this new community going to look like? How are we going to interact together in community? And so we kind of continue that arc of the story of of this new community that's being formed. And as we go to the passage this morning, I want you to be thinking about this kind of frame of reference when it talks about helping people, right? Because it can become easy to read a story like this and think, oh, we're just giving a handout to someone or we're doing someone a favor. But rather, what what does it form in us? When we help other people, what is forming in us? And how is this new community being shaped and formed around this idea of helping one another? So uh, if you would, turn in your Bible to Acts chapter 6. If you have a Bible with you, I'm going to really encourage you to take it out today because I might even have you interact a little bit with it. Our kids will show us how that works. Uh, But take out a Bible. There's a Bible in the pew in front of you. You can do the activity in that Bible. We won't tell anybody. And then the words will also be on the screen as well. Acts chapter 6. Uh, beginning uh, in verse 1, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, the canner, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, this story is uh, kind of becoming one of my favorites. And what's so significant about this story is what we just heard at the end is uh, this is the second time in the book of Acts where we hear that the number of disciples is increasing rapidly. Right, so uh, Acts chapter 2, we hear the Holy Spirit comes down, and a whole bunch of thousands were added to their number that day, is what it says. And here we're hearing that there's a a continuing increase of disciples, but after this particular event, after this experience, there's another rapid increase in the number of disciples who come to follow Jesus, even people who are religious leaders. And so what that should do for us is it should kind of like perk our attention. There's something going on here. There's something about this story that's significant and that's compelling. And that this story points to some reason a whole bunch of people started following Jesus. Okay? Now, uh, admittedly, uh, this particular story, we're, we're quite a few thousand years removed from this story. So there's some things going on here that aren't immediately obvious to us. And so we'll kind of flesh out a little bit of that background of that context to kind of get a better picture of what's happening here. Uh, the first thing is that the early, uh, the early Jesus followers, they considered themselves, and they were, Jewish. Right, that they, weren't, they weren't calling themselves Christian because at that point, that wasn't a thing because they were forming together as this new kind of infant community. And so this group of people who gathered together, they, they kind of were seated in this Jewish practice. They saw themselves as Jewish people. And so their, their kind of daily rhythm was all kind of based around the, the context of Judaism and, and Jewish faith. Now, the Old Testament is written about these people of God, the people of Israel, who were these Jewish people. And really important, we've talked about this a number of different times along the way, really important to to people of Jewish faith is the temple. And specifically the temple in Jerusalem, which is this holy city in Israel, this is a really significant location for the people of God, especially in the Old Testament and in Jewish faith. Uh, in that story in the Old Testament, at some point, uh, this group of uh, kind of invaders from Babylon comes and they disperse a lot of the Jewish people who are in the city of Jerusalem. They disperse them out; they're no longer allowed to kind of remain in Jerusalem. And so, the people of God, these followers of who follow Jewish faith, are kind of in all these different communities and surrounding communities. And so, in that process, they're forced to adapt how they practice their faith, right? Because The temple doesn't exist now in the kind of central spot in Jerusalem. So how are they going to live out their faith in these kind of other communities? What are they going to do? And so they start to continue to hold uh, strongly to their faith and and strongly to following God. But their practices shift because they're no longer central in Jerusalem. Now, as the story continues, uh, there's some rebuilding that happens. And a number of Jewish people come back to Jerusalem and they rebuild the temple and so this group of Jews who comes back and is in proximity to Jerusalem is able to engage in religious life as it was before and so this group that has returned back holds tradition very very highly it's not that the other Jews who are kind of in these other communities don't it's just that those who are back are able to kind of have the daily rhythm of being in proximity to the Jewish temple some of the other Jews continued to remain in these other kind of surrounding areas and so they were still practicing their faith but obviously in a different way because they weren't in proximity to the temple. And so this is the two people groups that are being talked about. And the Hebraic Jews, as it talks about in the passage, the Hebraic Jews are the people who were near Jerusalem, who held tradition very highly and could kind of in the daily rhythm be at the temple in the holy city. The Hellenistic Jews are these other Jews in these surrounding communities who are trying to figure out how are we going to live our life faithfully as jews while not in direct proximity to the temple so that's why you hear about like pilgrimages and going back to the holy city right but they would be more influenced by the culture around them they would speak greek and so because they've kind of been influenced by culture around them they were called hellenistic jews right hellenistic kind of refers to greek culture do you understand kind of the differentiation between these two groups kind of making at least there's a whole lot more there trust me but this at least gives us a, a sense of what we're talking about So you have the Hebraic Jews in proximity to Jerusalem, the Hellenistic Jews kind of in all different communities scattered around that also still held high regard for the Jewish faith. The second thing that we don't uh, immediately know um, is how the infrastructure of that time worked. So uh, back in that day, uh, the infrastructure for daily needs being met for care and support, for provision, was all centered on the men in the community. And so when a woman, when her husband would die... There was a need for her to receive support because once her husband was gone, the infrastructure for how her needs were met was gone. And so a lot of times what would happen is the family would take on the responsibility. So like the next of kin, so it would be a son or a son-in-law, a cousin, some other men in the community that would kind of take on uh, the responsibility of caring for the daily needs of the widow. Now nowhere does it say that the widows weren't strong or that they were weak or that the widows were unable to take care of themselves. But the societal structures of the day were set up in such a way that when a husband passed away, a woman was found vulnerable because the infrastructure of how her needs were met no longer existed. And so she would often find uh, kind of this support network in her next of kin, this other family around her. Uh, Here's an interesting intersection between these two things that's particularly pertinent to our story. The Hellenistic Jews... These Jewish people who are practicing the Jewish faith in communities not in Jerusalem held in high regard the holy city. And so they take these pilgrimages. In particular, near the end of life, uh, when a matriarch and a patriarch from a family were recognizing they're nearing the end of their life, they would make a pilgrimage to be close to the holy city, to Jerusalem, because they felt like it was important that when they died, they'd be buried as close to the holy city as possible. And so what would happen is these uh, husbands and wives, the kind of matriarchs and patriarchs of these family units, would uh, pilgrimage to Jerusalem, leaving the rest of their family who was established in these surrounding communities, in these surrounding communities, and they kind of reestablished life in the context near Jerusalem. Now, I don't know if uh, you're aware about this, but the life expectancy of men is often shorter than life expectancy of women. That's just the nature of how life works. So what would happen is these matriarchs and patriarchs would move closer to Jerusalem and the men would often pass away before the women. And so now you have a Hellenistic widow, someone who practices Jewish faith, who's close to Jerusalem, and she no longer has a support or care network because her husband has passed away. The next system that existed was to go to her family, but all of her family is now in another community because they've uprooted their life to Jerusalem. And so this particular group of people is particularly vulnerable, right? And Jewish faith knew that widows were vulnerable. That's why in Scripture, over and over and over again, you hear the call to care for the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. Not because they're any less, but because they're the most vulnerable people groups. They're the kind of group that need the support and infrastructure to meet their daily needs, to be cared for. And so this is the dynamic that's happening here is you have this Hebraic Jewish community who's all of these Jews who have their lived life, they're in the daily rhythm of being a part of what's happening. And then you have these other Hellenistic Jews, these people who have been gathered from other communities perhaps to come and see what's going on with Jesus or making other pilgrimages or for other reasons are in proximity to Jerusalem. And so you have specifically these Jewish women who have lived in other communities who are specifically vulnerable. So they are the kind of most vulnerable in the more already vulnerable people group is this kind of making sense getting the context for what's happening here and so this is really significant and this is really important because what happens is the hellenistic jews come to the apostles and they they form a really essential question they say who is going to care for us and who is going to care for the most vulnerable Who is going to be a part of caring for the needs and support of what these women, these most vulnerable people need? They pose that question to the disciples and they come and they say, our women, the widows of our community are being overlooked. Now we don't know for sure why they're being overlooked, right? It could certainly be that if there was this large group of Hellenistic widows in the community that perhaps it kind of tilted the scales and so it was unintentional. That's certainly possible. It's also really easy to see how cultural differences could certainly be at play here, right? If if you have a community of people who hold tradition in high regard and people who have been living out their faith in other ways, of course there's going to be conflict. Can you think of any parallels in our own life that might parallel some of these kinds of conflict, right? Of tradition versus in being impacted by what's happening around us in these different communities. See, there's this really significant conflict that's happening. So we don't know why they're being overlooked. All we know is that they are being overlooked. And the way it's talked about, overlooked, literally means to above see. Right? These women are being seen over. It's as if they're not uh, being paid attention to. There's an uh, above sight that's happening. And so these most vulnerable of the community are being overlooked above seen. And it says that they're being overlooked, they're being above seen in the daily distribution of food. Now, uh, distribution of food is a a fine translation in the context of what's being talked about here, because food is a really essential part, as strawberries right, are a super important part of what we need. It's a way to help people. But uh, the word that's used there has a, a big nuance, and it can be translated a bunch of different ways. And so it's certainly talking about the distribution of food, but it's actually kind of referencing this support structure, it's talking about meeting the daily needs of these women. They no longer have a support structure and infrastructure to care for their daily needs. So how are their daily needs going to be met, right? Like when we pray the Lord's Prayer, uh, give us this day our daily bread, we're certainly praying about food, but we're also talking about kind of broader provision, right? And so that's what's being talked about here when it says they're being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. This word that can be understood as kind of this support structure. They're under-supported. This is really important for us. It's an important thing for us to, to pay attention to. When we find ourselves in places of power and privilege, will we see the most vulnerable among us? Will we pay attention to the needs of the people in front of us? Or will we above see? Will we look over the people who come and express deep need? This is an important question for us to wrestle with. But this word that's used that talks about distribution of food actually occurs two other times in our passage. So kids, uh, I'm going to need your help again. Um, So just take a quick break on your Legos. Uh, And in your bag, you should have uh, received a piece of paper. Um, And on your piece of paper, it has the first four verses uh, from our chapter, uh, Acts chapter six. Adults, this is now for you too. If you have your Bible open, Uh, Keep your Bible open to Acts chapter 6. And I'm going to ask you to underline some things. And kids, what I want you to do, uh, we're doing a word hunt together, okay? What I want you to do is either underline the word or use your crayon to kind of highlight the word. So, uh, Daryl, go ahead and pull up the passage up on the uh, screen to start with. So this is the passage, uh, Acts chapter 6, the first four verses of the story we just read. Now, the words we were just talking about, go ahead and go to the next one, Daryl. The words we were talking about were distribution of food. It's the last three words of verse 1. So in your Bible, go ahead and underline the words distribution of food. And kids, on your paper, you can use a pen or a crayon to kind of highlight or underline distribution of food. Okay, see it up there? When you're done, kids, go ahead and kind of uh, wave your crayon in the air just so I know that you found it. Distribution of food. There we go. I'm seeing some wiggling crayons. Okay, keep looking for it. Great. Great. Okay, the next one I want you to go to is at the end of verse 2, the two words, to wait. Okay, so in your Bibles, uh, on the end of verse 2, the words, to wait on tables. So kids, it's the blue highlight up there. You can use a crayon or a pen to underline the words, to wait. Okay, and when you've got that one, go ahead and wiggle your crayon again so I know that you're there. Amanda's on it. Good job. Okay, good. We're still, you can still be finding that one too. Wait, the last one I want you to find is right near the end, and it's the word ministry. Now, I'm colorblind, so I have no idea what color that is, but I think it's green. Is it green? Great. Uh, so the green highlight, I made this. I should know what color it is. The uh, green highlight of uh, the word ministry, okay? So go ahead and highlight that one in your Bible. Highlight. I'm seeing wiggling pens. The ministry of the word, the last, kind of right, the last, fourth to last word in verse four, Okay. We're good? We got it? Awesome. Now, uh, kiddos, here's what I want to know. Are all of those the same word? No. Right? Those are six different words. Distribution of food to weight and ministry. Six different words. Here's what's so interesting. Uh, we're reading the Bible right now in English, but the Bible was written in another language. We so beautifully heard uh, Chinese and English this morning from Million Denny. What well, the Bible was written in was a, a language called Greek. And in Greek, guess what? Those three words are the same word. What? what? I mean, come on, that's crazy. Uh, those three words are a word diakoniai, which is where we get our English word deacon. And the English word deacon relates to being a servant. So at the bottom of your page, kiddos, I want you to take in kind of big letters and write the word serve. S E Rve. Okay, so at the bottom, write the word S-E-R-V-E. These three words are all different ways to describe kind of the same word, which means to serve. Now, um, I'm going to ask everybody in the room and online, uh, go, I'm going to ask you right now so because there's a delay. In the comments, go ahead and write what it means to serve someone. So what does it mean to serve someone? Adults, that's going to be your question two. Kids. I'm gonna ask you first, what do you think it means to serve? Or what does it look like to serve? You can go ahead and, to serve food, awesome. What does it mean to serve? To serve what? To serve God, awesome. What does, what does serve look like? Bjorn, what are you doing? Are you going like this with your hands? Serve, what a, what a great posture for serve, right? Others, kiddos? What does serve, what does it look like to serve? What does it look like to serve, Katie? To help people. I mean, you kids are just preaching the sermon this morning, I'm telling you. That is so good, Katie, to help people. Adults, what does it mean to serve? Go ahead and just call it out. What does it mean to serve? Being responsible for. Mm, I love that, Sue. Others. Meeting other people's needs before your own. You all are preaching the sermon. Other other things of what it means to serve. Being aware. Being aware what did you say? Humbly giving back from what we receive. Being aware. Beautiful. Um, online to serve is to find tangible ways to love someone. So profound. Tangible ways to love someone. To help other people. To Be aware, to meet the needs of others from what we have been given. Now, kids, what's so funny about that is we just used a whole bunch of words to describe the same word serve, which is exactly what's happening in the passage, right? So, kiddos, on the back of your page, what I want you to do is work on drawing a picture of what it looks like to serve, to help people, to meet people's needs, to care for people. Okay, so kids, go ahead and draw a picture on the back of what it means to serve, and at the end of the sermon, I'm going to have you do something, okay? So get ready, but on the back, go ahead and draw a picture of what it means to serve or to help people. Now, uh, this highlighting of these three different words is really significant, because it does two things in particular for us. First of all, it helps us understand that there isn't a hierarchy to what's being talked about here, because in the English translation, when you first read this, it kind of sounds like the disciples are degrading helping people, right? They're like, We couldn't possibly neglect ourselves to wait on tables, but that isn't at all the context or the tone of what they're talking about, because the word is the exact same. To wait on tables is literally service of tables. It's table service. And when they're talking about the ministry of the word, it is literally to serve the word, right? So these two things are actually just different facets of the same idea of what does it mean to serve? So there isn't this hierarchical nature. In fact, they're kind of subverting that hierarchical nature in this story. And so the second thing I think that this, uh, this highlights for us, and adults too, uh, after you've underlined those three things, maybe in the margin you can also write the word serve so you're reminded what this is about. Thank you for translating that for us. Um, but this, this idea of this, these this three words happening, when there's repetition in Scripture, when the words occur more than once, it should perk up our ears. Because it means that there's something about this word that is being talked about in this story. And we've already talked about that the story is significant because the number of disciples grew rapidly. So there's something about this story that was compelling. And one of the things that this story is about because of the repetition of this word is to serve. Do you see what's happening here? This is a community which is being defined and shaped by a culture of service. A culture of service dramatically reorients how we structure and live our life. And so this culture of service is going to define and help create this new kind of community. And remember, when we help people, something also forms in us. It's important for what it does for people, but it also forms something in us. And so this new community, this new way of approaching life, is not going to have systems and structures that prioritize the needs of the most elite. It isn't going to be this hierarchical structure where the people in power are served and they get to receive all the time, but rather the culture that's being defined here is a culture of service in which we are called to serve those around us. Do you see how this stands in stark contrast to the organization of how humans often organize themselves? We often put the most powerful and the most important on top and meet every one of their needs, and our call is to serve that small group of elite people. But this community is being upended to serve those around them, and the systems and structures that are going to be put in place are to meet the needs of the most vulnerable among them. Whoa. And this kind of community is compelling. This kind of community radically upends how the rest of the world operates. This is a community that is going to be defined by service, a culture of serving one another. Now, what's so interesting here to me about this story, and we're kind of coming down to a landing soon, is that what ta- what's talked about here is how the disciples respond. Do you see what the disciples do here? You see, the disciples, they rubbed shoulders with Jesus, and Jesus was a master at creating a culture of service around him, right? If anybody had any say of being able to be served all the time, it was Jesus. He's come as the Messiah of all people. But what did Jesus do? Jesus went everywhere serving other people. He was the servant leader, right? He wasn't putting himself on top and everybody serves and comes and does what I want, but rather Jesus was always sitting at tables with people who were often overlooked, who were above seen, and Jesus was inviting and serving people. This is the kind of culture that the disciples grew up in. As they were raised in their leadership, this is the kind of culture. And so, a complaint comes against them. I'm struck by what they don't do. They're not overly defensive. Right? When, when we often hear these complaints about an injustice, it's easy for us to kind of become defensive. Well, I didn't mean to do that. It wasn't my fault. I wasn't intending to do something like that. But the disciples, they hear this complaint. And instead of being defensive, they actually listen and they believe. They don't question, well, are you sure that, you know, that's. They believe what they've been told. The disciples listen and they believe. And then what do they do? The disciples listen and they believe to this uh, injustice that they've heard about that these women, these widows are being overlooked, they're being above seen, and they empower and equip people from the vulnerable people group. Whoa! This is certainly an act of the Holy Spirit, a divine wisdom imparted to these disciples whose shoulders have rubbed with Jesus, who fostered this culture of service. Because you see, the seven uh, men who are listed here are said to be full of the Holy Spirit and of faith, and all seven men have Hellenistic names, which means these men have been selected from the Hellenistic Jews, to oversee the support system of caring for these widows. Do you see what a dramatic shift this is in community? The disciples believe what they've been told, they listen to the needs of the people, and then they create a new structure that cares for the most vulnerable among them from the people group who has faced an injustice. This is an entirely different way of organizing life. And it is compelling. People are drawn, and the numbers increase rapidly because this community is totally different. It's not top-down. It's from within, growing up together. And the other, this last piece, I think, is just so profound to me is that as these seven men are selected, the process of their helping people forms something in them. They catch the continual, kind of contagious culture of service because the next two and a half chapters of Acts deal directly with the first two men listed, Philip and Stephen. These two men who have been elected to serve, not to lord over or be top-down, but rather from within to be appointed to serve the needs of the people, they then in turn spread the gospel further that waiting on tables, that the service of tables has done something and formed something in them that they are compelled to continue to further the gospel to people around them. And that's the stories we're going to hear in these next couple weeks about Stephen and about Philip, these two men who have been appointed to serve. Because this is the real point here. When we foster a culture of service, a community is created that fosters a culture of commonality. I'm going to say that again. When we foster a culture of service, the community that continues to be formed is a community that fosters a culture of commonality, that seeks to see the needs of the most vulnerable among us, that builds infrastructure and systems to care for those people that doesn't, isn't organized by uh, what who thinks this way or that way or tradition or not tradition or influenced by culture, but that all of those people are brought together in commonality, and that compels people. When we disagree and we come together, that's compelling. When we hold different ideas or how things go and we do those together, that's compelling. Religious leaders were said to come to this community because that kind of community is compelling. This weekend, our uh, students, our uh, young adults, our youth students are going on a serve trip. And Amanda has done an incredible job of creating these experiences for our students to meet needs of people in our community. And that is certainly important. But one of the things that we are so grateful for and we affirm and we bless is that as they do that, it also forms something in them that the needs that they're meeting are certainly significant by themselves, but it is also because it creates a culture for them of service. And as they come back to us, that culture of service is going to form in us a kind of culture that sees the commonality among one another. And they will lead, and they will help, and they will help us to see these needs of the most vulnerable among us and to care for those needs. You see, the Holy Spirit uses service to form us into a new community a united community and that community is compelling to the world so kids can you do me a favor can you hold up your drawings for us and kinda hold them up really high and keep them up there now I want to encourage you can you look around uh, congregation at these pictures this is the kind of community that we're talking about A a community that looks like serving people that shows care and love of giving people food of service. I can't see all of these drawings because they're kind of uh, in the light, but this is what this new community looks like. Kids, thank you for showing us what this new community can be like. Thank you for giving us a really clear picture of what it means to serve one another. This is the call. And so as we uh, come to the table, as we come to communion, I want to encourage us to ask What is defining our community? What is informing how we are formed? And how will we allow these things to form and take shape in us? Because this fostering a culture of service will create a community that fosters a culture that holds the commonalities together, which is a compelling Christian community. And so as we come to the table, I encourage you, uh, we'll go to God in prayer. And we will hear uh, just some sounds of our kids in the prayer, but we will do a a time of stillness, perhaps not silence, but a time of stillness. What is God calling you to this morning? How is God calling our community to be defined by this culture of service? So would you go to God with me in prayer? Holy Spirit, we are grateful that a, a new thing is birthed when we long to be in communion with you. God, and that you have shown for us that when we care for the needs, that not only are needs met, but we are formed differently. We are formed into a new kind of community. And so, God, in these few moments of stillness, would you draw to mind, help us to wrestle with this question, what are you calling us to be formed in? And how will our community be defined? So may we hold that with you now in the stillness.